Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer. You may have noticed that we were not about on Wednesday. That's not due to anything we did wrong. It's due to something going wrong with the infrastructure of Gript or the internet or some technical issue anyway that I for once cannot be blamed on. We did try and do a show for Thursday, also a technical issue. So here we are on Friday on a show I really hope that after we record I'll be able to upload because I don't want to waste another five hours of my life. Although I will say, listening back to the last episode we did, which was mostly about how easy it is to confuse Mary Robinson if you're the head of an Eastern European country, there was a certain sort of, you know, that may have gotten us sued. May have got you sued. I said some things about Mary Robinson and Mary Robinson's... um outstanding ability to note mental distress in uh, kidnapped princesses that uh, looking back on you know unkind people michael could have said i was uh, saying certain things about mary robinson unkind people gary but thankfully we don't live in a country where you find very many of them yes but michael as a man who's received more than a handful of legal threats i've generally found that solicitors particularly those specializing in let's say defamation tend to be unkind people I'm sure they're lovely people in private life, and very good to their dogs. But uh, anyway, I can understand, given the circumstances, if you listeners thought that perhaps we had gone away and we had become unemployed, because frankly it seems to be all of the rage right now. And uh, that was before the uh, announcement, not even announcement, the the mention by Michal Martin in the Irish Mirror that uh, lockdown, severe lockdowns will likely go on for another nine weeks. Yeah, it's a bit like that moment where the surgeon comes into the room and says, I'm sorry, but, well, we had been hopeful, but no, the other leg will have to come off. And also we're taking your groin. (laughs) Although, in fairness, generally speaking, legs don't grow back, and even this lockdown will eventually, for those people who are still alive when it's over, be over, and people will be able to go back and do other things that they used to be able to do when they were locked down. So it's maybe not quite a perfect analogy, but it's a bit of a kick in the teeth for lots of people. Um, now, well, there are, some stuff will happen, I think, Gary. Um, there is going to be a graduated reopening of the schools. Uh, other than that, what other ac- what other activities will be allowed to continue? Do we have any? Do we have any knowledge? Uh, and is this actually uh, signed, seen, and delivered? I mean, I'm hearing on the buzzing wires that this is a is being perceived in some quarters as a bit of a a home run, well, home run, uh, own run, own goal, possibly by Mihal that this hasn't really been very cabinety in its decision. Yeah, the the news about the nine more weeks of severe lockdown came out in the Irish Mirror uh, in an interview with Kira Phelan. And Michal Martin just said it. Now, that went live at 10pm. And I don't think that the Taoiseach would have deliberately chosen to announce nine more weeks of severe lockdowns in the Irish Mirror at 10pm on a Thursday. And I suspect, Michael, now I don't know what I would suspect, that you know when you're being interviewed about something and you're thinking about your next answer and you know what you're talking about, so you say it. And then you've that immediate, oh shit, that's not public yet. We hadn't really signed off on that, had we? No, but there's a camera here now, and it's a live interview. I've said it. And I can't say I didn't say it, because we might need to do it. (laughs) 
Yeah. Or, you know, it's a bit like once it's been, once it's on the record, well, then it has to be done. Maybe this is Michal's way of pushing through something that he doesn't feel would other have otherwise have got through cabinet intact. Uh, maybe. Maybe. I, I don't know. I was, for my own amusement, Michael, looking at the unemployment statistics today. Yeah, well, if you want a good laugh, I mean, go where the comedy is, Gary. Ah, you know, if the mountain won't come to me, I'll go to the mountain. In this case, the CSO monthly unemployment figures. Um, Our monthly unemployment, Michael, if you only look at it and don't really think about it at all, is about 5.3%, Michael. And that's actually better than it was in December. Well, there you go. All the naysayers and the doom mongers out there were doing tremendously well. Yeah, it's gone down by 0.2% from 5.5% to 5.3%, which is actually quite close to where it was in January 2020. We were at 5.1%. And, you know, we're, it's not terribly far off full unemployment or full employment. Um, for those who aren't aware... <laughs> full unemployment. Yeah, full unemployment. We're, we're getting right to that one as well. Um... For those who are thinking, how can we have 5% unemployment and be near full employment? Full employment is never really 0%. There's always an amount of people who are either not interested in work, but are still being counted for various reasons, or are between work, but are going to kind of fairly quickly get into new work. Full employment, the technical term means there's no, um, basically all available labor is being used. And it's usually measured somewhere around 3 to 4%. Yeah, usually. So we weren't far enough. So by that metric, Michael, we're actually doing really well. Yes, we are. However, and I feel you knew there was a however coming here. Well, you know, you're going to say the adjusted figures. And I'm going to say, you know, that's just guesstimates and worry warts and negativity. And you know what? There's nothing to see here. Move along. So if you take the COVID-19 adjusted unemployment rate... The actual unemployment rate, Michael, is 25%. Which is actually worse than 5%. Some, Michael, mathematically inclined people, would say it's multiple times worse. Yeah, you don't want to get maths involved in these things, Gary. It just, confl- it just confuses people and makes the thing more complicated. It's probably dishonest anyway. I mean, I remember the good old days back in the 80s when we actually had unemployment up around 18 90% naturally, without any adjustments. My own little town, I think, had an unemployment rate of above 25 percent and that was without any help at all still uh that's the general figure have you got a number for the for the young people because i suspect the young people's unemployment level is going to be even more funny oh yes no michael this this is the fun one so if the uh if the standard traditional unemployment rate is 5.3 percent well michael would it shock you to learn that Unemployment, perhaps, in the 15 to 24 age group is, let's say, an orderitude of magnitude. Orderitude? (laughs) Jesus, it's late. It's an order of magnitude greater than that. Yes, it's to the power of 10. Yeah. Well, to the power of 1, rather, to the power of 2. The unemployment rate for the 15 to 24-year-old demographic is 56.4%. Yeah, they're just not... They're just not trying. It's not good, Gary. It's not good. The interesting thing here is that in December, 19.4% of people were, if you looked at the adjusted unemployment rate, unemployed. So the traditional unemployment rate has gone down by 0.2%, but the COVID-adjusted unemployment rate has gone up by nearly 6% in a month. 
So we have nine more weeks in which we get to see if the COVID-adjusted unemployment rate can hit 35%, 40%. What a time to be alive, Michael. Well, yeah, it's certainly a, it's a debating point if, you know, for some people, you know, will it, will I, won't I? It's, it's a tricky one. And of course, this, this reflects terribly with January 2020, where there was no COVID-adjusted unemployment rate and unemployment was simply 5.1%. Well, the past is a different country, Gary. They do things differently there. It also has a uh, an unemployment rate 20% of ours. On the plus side, if you're looking for work, the uh, the HSE is now uh, looking for vaccinators. So an ad go up today on Twitter. You're, you're, you're just... Why? You're just trying to annoy me now. You know, you're just... You're just poking me with a big pointy stick because... Oh. thirty-five to 50,000... Uh, per annum for the job. If you're interested in statistically, you you the fair chance our listeners are unemployed. Actually, I would suspect our listeners aren't unemployed for the most part because they're probably older white men. I just have a feeling. Old white men sitting around counting their money and sipping martinis made out of the tears of the poor. There's, oh, sweet Lord above. You have an advert here, which I saw, and I couldn't quite get my head round, that I saw t- today from the HSE saying, we are recruiting. For those who have never taught English as a foreign language, that is the present continuous. That means right now, now, we are recruiting vaccinators for our COVID vaccination centres. That's not, Gary, another tense they could have used was, we have been recruiting, which is we started in the past and we are doing now. Or they could have even said, we have recruited, as in we have started and finished recruiting. They are now. We have started. No, no, no. You see, the thing is, the thing is, people say, ah, well, you know, Gary, we, we had signed contracts months and months ago. Not the right contracts, not good enough contracts, not big enough contracts, but the EU and Ireland as part of that had signed contracts for vaccines months ago. We knew, Gary, that the vaccines were not going to give themselves. We knew they were not going to come in the form of Tic Tacs that could be distributed to everybody and they would just take one. There would be some intermediary person responsible who would have to give the vaccination. Why, Gary, was it not possible at some stage in the past to say, let's start to get a list of people who are going to be willing to get involved in the process of vaccinations? We have nurses, midwives, doctors, physiotherapists, pharmacists, BMIs, paramedics and advanced paramedics. Now, we could, for example, already have a full directory of all of the retired people who fall into that category that would be licensed or licensable to give a vaccine. But we didn't do that. We didn't do it. We're doing it now. We're doing it in the same week where we announced that we're going to vaccinate the over 85s. And in one day, we vaccinated 66 of them. Was it 66 or 65? How many did we? Well, there's a, there's a technical breakdown there. But yes, GPs vaccinated 66. GPs. The GPs. Remember, it's going to be rolled out. The now, you see, Gary, you're going to say, well, that's just the way these things are done. No, Gary, that's not the way things are done. Back in November, the 17th of November, Sky News reported that the St. John's Ambulance had been approached by the British government to train up volunteers. Volunteers? Volunteers means they would do it for free, like for not for money, but they would be trained to do it. This was a month after 
So in October, the British government in October had changed the law in order to make sure that the vaccine, those people who could, 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 could give vaccines would be extended beyond the usuals to include independent nurse skills, allied healthcare professionals, paramedics, physiotherapists, pharmacists, student nurses and others. Now, they went and then changed the law in January to make sure that the doctors, for example, didn't have to do the kind of police background checks. But they were already talking about doing training thousands of volunteers, thousands of volunteers in November. No, you might say, we are now, we, we're not, we're not even considering training volunteers. I mean, God, for, that's out the window. We're not even, that's not part of this. We are now looking for these people who are licensed to do this. Now, Gary, it is possible. It is absolutely possible that this ad has appeared before and I have not seen it. It's perfectly possible that even though it says HSE Ireland Live 10 hours ago, that this was not just done in the last 20, this is not started in the last 24 hours. I will, however, observe that the closing date for applications is the 3rd of March, 12 noon, or is the 2nd of March at 12 noon. Anyway, it's March, which is in, it's in a fortnight's time. So this is a process which is ongoing. We've been condemned to another nine weeks, another nine weeks of lockdown. We're talking about what feels like a dream scenario now of delivering 100,000 vaccines a day. When the North, which is a population of less than half of ours, was routinely hitting up around 100,000. Gary, does this feel to you like a government whose every moment is dedicated to trying to think of ways to roll out the vaccine, the vaccination program to this country as quickly as humanly possible in order not just to return people's lives to normality, but to try to do some damage limitation on the hemorrhaging coruscating damage that's been done to the economy. They're, they're human beings who have families who live in this country. I, I imagine they must be aware, but I have no sense that they are of this, of any sense of desperate, horrific urgency. And maybe it's there, but they're just not communicating it. And they, if they feel it, they should communicate it. And more than that, they should actually fucking do it. But other than that, I'm feeling fine. So we have, we, we have, we have an idea. Of how of how this is going now because Simon uh, Stephen Donnelly I was about to say Simon Coveney Stephen Donnelly has readded the number of vaccine doses to the daily uh, TD roundup. So we now know that Ireland has used, according to the HSE, Michael, ninety four percent of the available vaccine. On the fifteenth of February, we had seventeen thousand vaccine. Tell the people the numbers. So, 280,581 vaccine doses administered, 297,330 doses available. And there's a little bracket, Michael, saying 94% of available vaccine used. Now, there is, of course, the number above that. Yes, what's that number? That is doses received 350,310, which would seem to say there are actually 70,000 doses of the vaccine in the country. That haven't been used. That would seem to be suggesting that, yes. So what this, what that number is, that that's 73,000 is, or sorry, 70,000, not 73,000, that would be vaccines they have in case there is an issue with supply and to make sure they have enough second doses on hand. I don't think that buffer should exist, frankly. Uh, and I, I can explain exactly why. I don't think we need... 70,000 vaccines that we can't use when, you know, we kind of need vaccines, Michael. 
just kind of yeah we kind of need people to be vac- vaccinated that would be a help so the government expects in the remainder of q1 to get another effectively 900,000 vaccines they've got the buffer there but we know how many second doses are going to be required at any particular time and we also know how many doses are coming in every week in the supply so rather than having this massive buffer use it use it all now because supply is going to increase as we end get to the end of q1 and into q2 we're supposed to be receiving just under 900,000 more doses of vaccine in Q1. So basically, we've in the next six weeks and a bit, we have coming in another 900,000 doses. I mean, even if there was a problem, and the scale of the problem would have to be absolutely dramatic and traumatic for that to happen. But the the great bulk of the, the, the doses are giving out so far are Pfizer, aren't they? So, yes, the, the majority of them have been Pfizer. Uh, some of the AstraZeneca, some of the Moderna. Uh, Moderna. Now, and, but the, we know that the, I mean, even the acceptable, the recommended gap, I mean, actually, the, the, the data now is suggesting that I, that the, the optimum uh, period for, is actually 12 weeks for Pfizer. So, I, I mean, if we have a problem uh, uh, of supply in, in 12 weeks time that we can't cover, that it, that would be then we're we are we're so deep in the slurry pit that at that point you know it won't matter anyway. Um, just just on the 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 buffer and, and why I think we should use it now. We know if there were going to be issues with supply, if we didn't have a constant idea of how much supply we were going to get, that might make some sense. But we we know that we will have supply of multiple vaccines. So unless all of them go to the wall, we're still going to have a supply of it. But also because right now we're vaccinating those, actually we haven't been, but we should have been, we've we've now started to vaccinate those who are actually at the greatest risk of hospitalization and death. Yes. So if you can free up those vaccines now and expedite the vaccination of those people, you will have a disproportionate impact on death and hospitalization over the medium to long term. And because the supply is going to widen as you move forward, it's very easy to, in 12 weeks, take, or you know, however many weeks you want to wait, to simply take the second doses from that and, and to control it in that fashion. The buffer, to me, does not seem to make... It seems like they've done it because someone told them it was the sort of thing that should happen. And no one actually sat down and went... You know, does this make sense in this circumstance? I think in a, in in a, in, in normal circumstances or historical circumstances, it, it was regarded as best practice that you did this. And there may be, listen, there may be very decent, sensible reasons in many in certain situations for this to pertain. The circumstances here do not, it seems to me, and unless somebody out there can explain to me otherwise, perfectly willing that somebody who's expert in this. May may have a reason why this is absolutely necessary, but I have I think that this is an application of a rule which doesn't pertain in this case. You're talking because one thing that seems to be clear: if we're we are talking, as I said, the aim, the aim, which I regard as a a non-ambitious aim, is for the distribution of a hundred thousand vac- vaccine doses uh, in a week, right? Now, if we have we have nine hundred thousand coming in, and we have left and around six weeks to get. I mean, we're not we're not going to be we're not going to have the capacity 
to actually use all of the vaccines that are coming in as they come in. We, we won't be able to get them all out. So there will be a structural surplus in vaccines that would serve the, serve the purpose that this particular 50,000 at this moment serves. Uh, it, I, it, I, it doesn't, unless there is a, a reason which will be genuinely, if somebody wants to sort of mail us in and explain why, I would, we'd be happy to, to explain, uh, to say, okay, that's interesting and read out the program. But as it stands, I think it's just one of those things. And it, it, it's not necessary now. One, one of the big problems here is that the HSE isn't really explaining a lot about this and nor is the government. So it's hard to tell, let's say something is bad for two weeks. You can't tell if that's due to a particular issue or if that's no. a trend that's going to continue. And that means that every time you see something move down dramatically, you have to sort of go, okay, is this the beginning of something going catastrophically wrong? But the issue seems to be, right now, supply. As we get more supply, I think the issue is going to refocus more to the HSE and to exactly what is happening with the distribution. But if the issue right now, if the issue this week and the start of next week, let's say, is primarily supply, just use the buffer. Pump out the buffer yeah. and ameliorate the issue rather than having two weeks where things are just terrible and uh, then you go back to normal. That, that to me, makes no sense. And, and again, this whole, oh, we need to safeguard second doses, you know how many people have been given first doses and you know when they've been given them. It's, it's not difficult to simply say, well, every week we get 40,950 Pfizer vaccines. This week we will need this many to do second doses. That seems trivially easy for an organization with a budget of 19 billion euro. The problem with them up to now, I don't know if if it still is, but we'll say up to now has almost certainly been a problem largely of the supply of the doses of vaccine. I'm sure. I think there are other issues involved. We know there have been problems regarding the way they managed the rollout to care homes, other issues. I am genuinely concerned if you're talking about the supply that we haven't organized our supply of people to deliver this vaccine we're organizing we're, we're announcing hotels that where it's going to happen we then discovered some of these hotels actually didn't know that they were doing it they hadn't been advised and they're going oh really i didn't we didn't know that oh, that's interesting but that's maybe that kind of thing happens jesus you're only doing 37 centers each shouldn't be that complicated to have all of them done and dusted. Do you think, you think someone would have gone around the department and went, the minister is going to publicly announce this. Is everything on this list solid? Yeah, you would have hoped. But we, we're now in the process of looking for people to staff these. Well, I don't believe we will have a shortage. I don't know. I would have thought, I would have hoped that in a moment of national crisis, people who have the qualifications requisite to to do this will come forward in a sense of civic duty also because by the way i imagine they'll get vaccinated as well before they do this people who are going to carry out vaccinations will be vaccinated so that's something of a an incentive program, uh, do you remember the program that the hse was talking about at the start of the covid where you know that some sort of you know call home sort of thing for medical professionals. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. That yeah, was yeah, a shit yeah, show. Yeah. That was shit just show. Yeah, an yeah, absolute shit. 
Like people left jobs in Australia, came to Ireland, and then just, just nothing. Just <laughs> and couldn't get back to Australia. Yeah, and it's, it's just pointless. Now, on the on the doses, Michael had said about sixty six people. Just to give you some raw data on that, for those who have interested, I've started doing a daily vaccine update on Gripped. Just it's just this, it's just the stats basically, and you know a paragraph of here's a rough idea of what happens. It was not designed as look how badly we're doing, but every day I log on to it and I just look at it and just go, eventually they have to go up. So the last two days they have actually started to go up. The seven day average of total vaccines administered, or the seven day total, I suppose, is now 32,784. That means the average number of doses administered per day has fallen by about 17% since the 9th of February, which is, they only started releasing daily um, information on the 5th, and I think they backdated it to the 3rd, so the 9th was the first day we could actually show a 7-day average. So, the HSE, the way it does this is it divides everyone into cohorts. Cohort 1 is people above 65 who are residents of long-term care facilities, Important note here, including staff and residents on site. That's cohort one. Cohort two is healthcare workers. And cohort three, who are the people we should have focused on to fucking start with, and we're now (laughs) focusing on, are people who are 70 and above. Monday was the first day that GPs were meant to get involved in this and start dealing with the general public. 66 people out of cohort three. Uh, would have been dealt with. No, and I feel like I've seen a photograph of at least half of those people. I would smiling. imagine so. As, as as I saw someone mention on Twitter, at this point we don't have to publish the statistics. We could publish the names. <laughs> yeah. So cohort three it, GPs are particularly vaccinating people who are over eighty-five. Now GPs I've talked to, some haven't got the supplies. Some aren't expecting the supplies for a while. Some of them are just getting into it kind of slowly. And I mean, I'm also hearing stories of other GP practices where, you know, a couple of hundred people are being vaccinated. And I expect that number to pick up through the week. But on Monday, the first day of it, we did, you know, we, we did do about uh, 8,000 people that day, but only 66 of them were in cohort three. Now, it's possible that some of the people who went to the GPs are long-term residents of care facilities and therefore were going in as cohort one. But there were also people in those facilities vaccinating. So it's basically impossible to tell. And the HSE isn't going to fucking tell you. So... Hey, I don't think the HSE knows. I have no confidence that they know which bit of... which hand is using what. They, I, I'm asking people, I'm asking doctors, and people have, do you know who's running this? And nobody knows. I, re- I read through the uh, document that the HSE sent out to GPs about this, Michael. <laughs> it has a section on, you know, oversight of the program and, you know, what you should do if you have any questions. It doesn't say who's running the program. It just gives a generic HSE email. So I, I can, I'm not really surprised that no one would know. What I do find interesting is that um, Northern Ireland per capita, Michael, is doing 10 times better than we are at vaccinations. 
they are hitting kind of 95, 97,000 people a week, which is what we would love to get to. Like, fantastic to get to. And um, if, if they're they have doing half that, our population? Slightly less than half our population, I think. Uh, I think we should be over 200,000 on that basis. Um, that we should be aimed, that should be our, 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 our baseline. You know, and if that was the case that we were knocking up to, no, it it is true that in the first couple of weeks, Northern Ireland was not doing 95,000 a week. Nobody in the United Kingdom was. They started off slowly, but by God, they speeded up quickly and they kept getting faster. Now, laterally, that has, they've dropped back there. They're not quite as quick as they were. And I, I imagine there are issues there. Possibly about a little bit about supply, but also about the fact that they're now going into different cohorts and it's a more difficult area and they're doing seconds. They're not doing so many second doses because they're the way they're, they're, they're doing it, but they're starting to do rather more second doses around now. But there's still the, the, the North is, it got up to speed very quickly. And if we were hitting 2000, 200,000 that in seven weeks, that would be that would be that would be that would have us over one and a half million. Now that would be something, would not? That has not been our trend, though. So we only have daily data going back to the third. On the fourth of February, we did ten thousand nine hundred and fifty-six doses in a day, which would have been, you know, yeah, that was decent. Yeah, like nearly seventy-seven thousand in the week. Yeah, sure. By Let's see, we then by the 8th, we were down to 1,400 doses a day. Yes. By the 14th, we had, we. so we went back up to about 7,500, and then we dropped back down to about 2,500. Now, on the last day we have data for it, we went up to 8,000 again. So here's the question, do we keep going up, or do we do what we did last week, which is go up to 7,500, then half, then half again. And I don't know. And I, because I don't know why these numbers are happening because the HSE no. will not explain to anyone what is actually happening on the ground. So, I mean, you're sending queries into the HSE. You're looking at the various data they're releasing. You're looking at what you're hearing from doctors. You're looking at the vaccine things. And you're just trying to guess what's actually happening here. But it would be so much more effective if they would just explain. Yeah, I suppose there is a, there's a, a suspicion uh, around the gaff that one of the reasons why we saw the numbers go up and then go back down is because there was a certain amount of low-hanging fruit vaccinating going on. And therefore, when that was finished, then problems within the system resurfaced. So, and that, that may be the case. But, you know, if nothing else, as somebody observed to us uh, in the last week or so, I can't remember what which particular junior ministry portfolio they referred to it, but it was basically equivalent to use junior minister for skittles and banjos. And you know, if you can have a junior minister for skittles and banjo playing, for God's sake, could we not have one person, one minister, junior minister, whose job it is solely to oversee, coordinate, and be responsible for the the vaccination program? Someone, some central person that. Some competent person, yes, competent person, send out a search party to do this. And at least then people would know where to go and who to refer to. They could be, I, I, I with, with large bureaucratic organizations like the HSC, it, it's not even about, it's not about bad faith, Gary. It's not about a lack of willingness for people 
to do good work or to, to, to do well or to do their best. But structures grow up and, and inhibit people. They block people. They, they, they stymie and stifle people. And you need somebody in there with the machete to say, no, that's okay. We don't need to do that. Stop that. Do this. Go ahead. Somebody that can say yes, because bureaucracies are built of walls and procedures which say no. Ultimately, they're just nothing but protective procedures. And you need somebody that people can go on the phone. Can we do this? Yes, you can. Go. Let's do it. And this is, I, I say again, surely the vaccination program is as important as banjo playing in Skittles, uh, whatever the particular ministry was. I can't remember what it was, but it was not much more than that. We, we, and also it'll be another junior ministry, Gary. Wouldn't that be lovely for somebody? I know, we, we could give it to the Greens. Now you're just being, you're, now you see, now, you know, I was, I've made a perfectly reasonable suggestion, Gary. I don't think it's outlandish. There's no need to come back with that kind of hostility. Actually, Michael, I, I think I have found a solution. Something that will get us entirely out of this. Yes. And I, I got thinking about it because I saw Mike Ryan from the WHO saying that what the rich world needed to do with share vaccines with the, uh, you know, with the PER, with the, yeah. the developing world. And as he said it, the image in my head was of Smoke from The Hobbit just <laughs> sitting on a mountain of gold, <laughs> but it was vaccines. My you know, gold. Michael, I found that a more compelling vision for what I want. Yeah. But, and it was this, so that got me thinking and, uh, Carol Nolan had a, a PQ in, now. a very interesting PQ, Michael. And it was this, to ask the Minister for Health if there are obstacles to the private purchase of COVID-19 vaccinations from either within or outside the EU by private Irish medical organisations or hospitals, private companies or philanthropic organisations, and if he'll make a statement on the matter. Well, I think that's a fascinating question, and I applaud whoever it was that asked that fascinating question. And I think that they're showing whoever asked that question or formulated that question is obviously somebody of acumen and intelligence. So what was the answer? Very similar to things you were asking, what, doesn't it? You know, it, 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 there's a passing similarity, Gary. So mm. what's the story? I, the, the answer, Michael, I actually thought was spectacular. Ireland is participating in a procurement exercise being operated by the European Commission on behalf of member states to procure suitable, safe and effective vaccines in sufficient quantities to combat COVID-19. While there is nothing that specifically restricts the method of sale and supply of vaccines against COVID-19, as conditional market authorization are based on the quality, safety and efficiency aspects of the, med med sorry, of the medicinal product, the state is taking measures to ensure that sufficient vaccines will be made available to vaccinate any person seeking to be vaccinated, such that such private purchase is unlikely to be necessary. Which is ah. basically to say there is nothing stopping the private sale of COVID-19 vaccines in Ireland. But the state asks, since we're doing so well, why would you want to do that? I'm sorry, the thing is, if you could you just read back the first part of the first part of that statement, just read it back for a second, just the first bit. Ireland is participating in a procurement exercise being operated by the European Commission. Sorry, there, that's it. Does that not sound? 
Ireland's engaged in exercise. You know, it's like war games. We're having an exercise. I wonder, do, do people think that this is just an exercise? It's not the real thing. We're doing an exercise. You know, and when we actually have to do a procurement thing, we, you know, we'll do it properly. This is just an exercise. This is it. I, I know. My, my, the, the part I loved was, you know, while there is nothing that specifically restricts, <laughs> uh, you know, sufficient vaccines will be made available such that such private purchase is unlikely to be necessary. Yeah. It is this sort of, but we're doing so well. Why would you want to, why would you even think about asking such a question? Exactly. I, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to a, a, um, a younger um, member of the media there the other day. We're talking about, um, you know, the uh, predicted, the time you're predicted to get uh, your vaccination, I got on the calculator, you know, the Omni calculator thing. And mine had gone from the 11th of April to the 25th of May. And it's now the 7th of July or the 10th of July. And he laughed. He said, oh, really? Yeah. I'm in 2022. So I'm not, fe-. he said, I don't feel, I'm not feeling very, a great deal of uh, sympathy for you. So I, I don't know if it's unlikely. What I hope, their mouth to God's ear, Gary, I hope it is unlikely. I do, however, think that, shall we say, there is a, a right now, I would say that there is a, an opportunity in the market for somebody who had the ear of somebody in Russia and had the money to buy, what would you say the market would bear right now, Gar? 200,000, 200, 200, half a million doses? It depends how you want to go. You could either, you could, you could do what you wanted with this. You could sell it as a, you know, a as a, a premium product or you could cut and just try and get as much of it in as you could um i think you would make a substantial amount of money although michael as as uh von der Leyen did point out in the eu i think yesterday why is it that russia is selling all of this vaccine instead of vaccinating their own people to which i would imagine the response would be well geopolitical power and money well, indeed, uh, I think that's a, that's a very, a very like, and also I think that what the hell business is it of Ursula von der Leyen's? What the Russians want to do anyway? It's this is just this is is this is is effectively is yet another example of Ursula desperately waving her arms around and saying, "Don't look over there, look over here." The European Union seems to be buying more and more vaccines, but oh, loads of them, miss. But what I've noticed is that it's. They're just announcing them as if, uh, you know, we've looked bad. We need to look good. We need to get this under control by 300 more Moderna uh, vaccines. And then we can come out and we can say we bought them. And everyone will be like, they're doing stuff. But every time they announce that they've bought these things, I always, I just look into when they expect delivery of them. And it tends to be, you know, Q4. Yeah, they are they're coming, Gary, but much like coming, they're coming at Christmas. And then you sort of go, but we already have over 2 billion vaccines on order at that point. So I think the EU may have basically just went, oh shit, we buy 300. We don't really need them, but fuck but it, we we'll can, hawk them on to the third world. We'll give them away to make us look good. 
And also maybe they're thinking, well, you know what, maybe we'll have made such an arse of this that this thing will be still going on next year and we'll need more vaccinations then for a second round of vaccinations. But the reason I find it particularly funny is because part of the problem that we're in now is because we didn't want to spend money. And now we're yeah. just like, just buy hundreds of millions of doses. And if we don't use them, we'll just hawk them off on someone. I suppose the point we're making here, Gary, is... Well, the point I'm making here anyway, is anybody out there that knows somebody that knows somebody, this is an opportunity that won't last forever, but for the next few weeks, next couple of months, you can get the Russian vaccine for, we'll say, around $10, maybe a little bit less. It's hard to tell, actually, because the... the all the prices negotiated are for such incredible bulk orders. So I don't well, know. Well, that's, that's the price in India. Oh, yes. And the Indians, Michael. I really love the Indian entrepreneurial spirit. I've seen people just go into Indian, uh, not national, but you know, provincial TV, the large scale provincial TVs, like amazing list of viewerships. And just be like, well, what we need to do is you just need to bring it in and just let the free market handle it. Which is weird because India is not a free. It, 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 they they do business. They're good. At lots of stuff. And they do lots of business with people. It isn't a massively free market country. I mean, until not that there isn't actual proper communist province. There is a significant communist party. And until not that long ago, India was very much a planned economy. It was the the great poisoned love child of Harold Lasky in the LSC. But it's only really in the last, well, I suppose since the late 80s, it's sort of opening up and sort of, anyway. But yeah, it's, when it comes to this, they're, they're very much on the, should bring it in and should, we'll sort of let the thing sort it out. India's a bit peculiar, actually, because the, 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 the infection rates have been going down and down and down in India uh, for months now. Nobody really knows why. Um, there are lots of speculation. One person said that they, well, and there may be something to this. One, I say, person, one prominent uh, professor of hard sums and medicine or something in complicated, complicated biology said, she was saying that, well, you know, we have cholera and we have TB and we have typhus and stuff in India. So it's possible that we just have tougher immune systems, more ready to deal with this kind of thing than other people in more developed parts of the world, which is a way of saying, ah, well, you know, Indians are tough and the Europeans are just a big bunch of wusses. But there may be something to that, you don't know. But, you know, if there, if it's 10 or a dollar, I mean, for so 20, 20 quid, okay, you're gonna have import costs and whatever and just you distribution costs. Of, would you pay 200 quid to be vaccinated? Um, I don't know. It, it, to be honest, vaccination is not something I've thought of at all because I am so young and don't have any other health conditions that I basically went, I'll think about it when it gets to me. Now, were I, you know, 60, Michael, and someone offered 200 quid to be vaccinated, yeah, probably. Well, you see, the thing about the vaccination, it's not just that the, the level, the threat level. I mean, I would pay 200 tomorrow for it, no doubt. But it's not just that. It's also the set. The, it means that with a huge degree of certainty, I mean, not complete certainty, huge degree of certainty, once you're vaccinated and you've gone through the whole thing, you're not, you're, 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 uh, you're, you're safe to be around as well. So you can now socialize with people that you wouldn't have been able to socialize with previously. 
we know that there are European countries that are are organising vaccination, COVID passports. Uh, the UK certainly is doing this. They're looking at organising places, pubs, restaurants, activities where people will be able to go once they have their 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 COVID passport. If that kind of thing was happening here, I think that that side of it, as much as the health, I mean, for me, it would be health. But I think also the the freedom that it would give you to be to be with other people to be safe around other people in different circumstances would be as as a big as big a draw and i think that many many people would happily pay 200 200 quid to do that no i mean there is there is another option here because northern ireland is vaccinating five percent of its population a week so they're going to get there pretty quickly considering we're vaccinating 0.5 percent a week currently yeah that was an interesting uh, one also Another another PQ that uh, Carol Nolan put through, because, you know, my life is, is now spent just reading PQs for some reason. So she asked the Minister for Health... A very bad man in a previous life. Yeah. She asked the Minister for Health if it's possible for residents or citizens of Ireland to travel to Northern Ireland for receipt of the COVID-19 vaccine, and if he will make a statement on the matter. Now, what came back was... Uh, the administration of vaccines in Northern Ireland falls under the jurisdiction of the Northern Irish authorities, quite rightly. And then they gave the piece of law and said that uh, provides that a person whose place of rev- residence is in the state may not leave their place of residence without reasonable excuse. A non-exhaustive list of reasonable excuse is contained. Leaving a place of residence without reasonable excuse is subject to penal provisions, which I would read as a very long way of them saying... Yes, it's perfectly fine to go into the north to get a vaccine if they'll give you one. If you were stopped by a guard and what you're doing is that I'm going to be vaccinated, I think that would be a reasonable excuse. To be fair, I think most guards would say, fair enough, go on ahead. And to be, Michael, you say that. But what if the guards aren't accepting that as a reason and that's why the numbers are so low? Well, they should tell people that for a start, I suppose. Mm. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful departmental answer, though, because it's it's sort of yes, it would clearly be reasonable for you to go and get vaccinated, but we're not going to say that. We're just going to quote the act. I can't remember it. I was alive, but I, I can't remember it. When Jack Lynch was Taoiseach, and there was all sorts of bad stuff happening in the north. Um, sort of in the early 70s, I think it was around the time after maybe Bloody Sunday. Uh, they, st- they there was, I don't know exactly what they were afraid of. There was going to be an insurrection in the North or a civil war, or there was going to be a pogroms. I mean, there have been talk about uh, a repeat of what happened in Belfast in the 20s and so. So they set up these, the army set up sort of the equivalent of field hospitals just inside the border in the Republic. I'm just wondering, Gary, if it might be an idea for the in the north to do the same thing on the reverse. <laughs> you know, because as we know, there is quite a lot of uh, talk in favour, even at the very highest levels in Britain, in the British government, that Ireland, the Republic, if they're short of vaccines, should be included because we want an, an all an all island COVID strategy or an even an all archipelago COVID strategy because it just makes sense. It makes sense for their vaccination program as much as it helps us. You can you imagine it, Gary? All along the, you know, starting from Armagh, going over to Dunning, over to over to 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 Derry, up to the up to the peninsula, 
these <laughs> these hospital setups for the poor, give me your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be vaccinated, streaming north. Uh, <laughs> it'd be a sight to see, wouldn't it? And I think it would be a very good idea. And I think it would be a very positive mood, move by the administration in the north of Ireland. And if they want to invite me to be you know, involved, since it's my idea, I would be happy to, uh, to go up and use that as my reasonable excuse. I think the, the problem I have now is that everyone involved has been so misleading in so much of the health information that they've put out over the past year. And so unwilling to answer basic questions and so just sort of, you know, openly contemptuous to the idea of public health communication in most senses. That, um, not all of them, but enough that that has been the overall impact. That now when they say something about vaccination numbers, I'm like, uh-huh, maybe. Maybe that will happen. Maybe yes, maybe and no. it's not really helped by the fact that Stephen Donnelly... Every time he walks by a camera, has picked up this Tourette's-like syndrome of just shouting numbers out. Maybe we can vaccinate 250,000 people in a day. Like, maybe we can, Stephen. We won't, but, you know, we could. If you wanted to? If you really, really wanted to? If you just, if you get on your trampoline and you just believe in yourself. <clears throat> we can do it. Yes, we can. You think someone would just have taken him aside, Stephen, and be like... You know the the way you keep setting like I, one of one of the lines he came out and he said that um, I think it was you know something like and with very very exact requirements having been met we will be able to do this and you just look at him and go that sounds like that won't happen why would you say that so that people can later go back to you and say this didn't happen. Do you think that being able to go, well, I said with very, you know, strict requirements haven't happened, will make you look any better at that time? Just stop doing this. There's a very basic lesson in politics. If you make a projection of what you're going to achieve and you fall one short, even if what you project... I remember, uh, I think it was the 2000 and... was the 2007 election? And... You know, they were having the, the, the usual talking heads on TV and they had Charlie McCreevy in for Fianna Fáil. Charlie always did the, the elections because Charlie had this encyclopedic knowledge of every constituency in Ireland, every what what would come out of the, the what you'd expect from the half parish of Ballinamagan in that this, in the ballot box there. You'd, oh, well, that was a good box for Fianna Fáil. That was a bad box for Labour. And I think, I don't know, I, I don't know, I think it was Tom Curran was the numbers man for Fine Gael. And they were saying to, to, to McCreevy, well, what, 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 what do you think will happen, Charlie? And Charlie, ah, Charlie, that smile thing, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. And they pressed him for a number, they pressed him for a number. Didn't give a number. Curran then predicted that Fine Gael would pick up, I think it was, he said, would pick up 20 seats, right? 20 seats sounds like a lot, but something like that. And you could see, I remember thinking, why would you do that? Because even, and as it happened, they didn't. They won, I think, 19 seats. So they'd fallen below, they had fallen below their projection. Their projection. Now, it was actually a very good result. But he'd fucked it up because it wasn't a good result anymore. They had failed to reach their target. And Donnelly does this. He puts these targets, which sound fantastic. 
And if they got close to them, really close to them, it would be a really good result. But if they did, it wouldn't be a good result anymore because he, he set a target beyond and said, yeah, we failed. So the, the story now is we failed to reach your target. You don't give numbers like that. You give us vague notions. Or if you're going to give a number, you give a number which you're absolutely certain for a, that, they, uh, that they're going to not only make it, but surpass it. The problem there is that you, know, you don't want to give a number that sounds so ridiculous that it sounds like you're actually not taking the thing seriously. So avoid numbers, avoid this. Because all you're doing is setting yourself to fail. Even an even a success, you're now turning into a failure. We we did GPs did sixty six people over eighty five and older on Monday. The CSO estimates that there are as it's there's a bit of of ambiguity here because some of the people will have been in cohort one, but the C the CSO estimates that there are about four hundred and ninety thousand people to be vaccinated in cohort three. So. 490,000 people who are 85 or older and are not residents in long-term care homes. We did 66 on Monday. <laughs> don't, no, don't, don't do the math. Don't. You start throwing around numbers and people start looking at trends and very soon you have someone there going, how does this just not, we're not trying to, you know, start a fight here, but uh, do you still think you're right? And I mean, did you see the thing in um, in in Tel Aviv, Michael? No. Which? I, no, I did not. So there's a there's a bar in Tel Aviv they set up. So um, basically, the deal was if you uh, if you came up and you got vaccinated, you could get some free liquor if you were okay. sixteen and over. Uh, the Israeli vaccine program is going so well. Do you know who was running this program, by the way, Michael? This free bar uh, where you could get booze if you got vaccinated? Chabad? I don't know who. No, no. No, no. Tel Aviv's head of media and tourism. <laughs> Good man. That's how well the Israeli vaccine... Like, when, I, when I compare vaccination programs anymore, I only use Northern Ireland or Britain. Occasionally the US. Because Israel is beaten us so extensively that it feels unfair. <laughs> but at the same time, you do sort of go, why are they so much better than you? And there are policy reasons there. Even saying the supply is constrained by the EU is a policy reason. We yes. chose to get involved with that. We then chose not to secure additional doses through bilateral deals, which other EU countries have sort of went... And quietly done on the table, and it looks like more will do so. Yes. These are all choices that we made that have led to a negative outcome. And I don't know, I, I think I'm just getting slightly annoyed with the whole, oh, well, it's a, it's a supply issue. As if saying that means the conversation is over. As opposed to, okay, why do we have a supply issue, though? We didn't have to do this. Health is an individual competency. It's much like my sister today saying to me, why is the house cold? I said, because we don't have any coal. I said, why is... And I said, well, you see, it's basically a supply issue. At which she responded, well, why didn't you get more coal? Which I felt was a passive and unnecessary. I, I think that we should have just left it at a supply issue. Luckily, the supply man arrived in the afternoon, so the listeners can be reassured heating was restored. But... 
it's much the same, Gary, to say. Saying it's a supply issue just means we didn't buy enough. The Irish government is responsible for the health and the care of the Irish people in this way. It's nobody else's responsibility. And they chose. That's like, you know, it's like, oh, well, we, uh, yeah, I gave my money to the con man, but it's ultimately his fault. You know, it's not. It's your fault. You gave, it, you gave the money to the wrong man. You put the money in the wrong business. You backed the wrong horse. These are all your responsibilities. This is the responsibility of the government. It's a supply issue. Yeah, you fucked up. And then I, I can just see the sort of, but there was an expectancy that we would get involved in, you know, the European-wide efforts or an expectancy that you know, we wouldn't do these things. And you sort of go, that, that's great. How's that fucking working out for you, though? If all the other boys jumped off the, the bridge in the Liffey, would you jump off? Well, the boys, the other boys expected us. If all the other boys jumped off into the Liffey, Michal Martin would put together a commission which would look <laughs> at the issue and then following careful consultation, he would not jump, but fall forward into the Liffey. Well, he'd have to, uh, at the same time, I think before I, that was done, he'd have to certainly talk to all the stakeholders in the whole Liffey swimming bridge scenario because, you know, he... There are, there are a lot of issues to be... And then you have the environmental impact study and you'd have to look to the back benches as well and see... And I mean, you, you know, you'd need to bring in some very detailed reporting because some they said they jumped into the Liffey, but from a particular angle, one of them looked like that was a cannonball. So <laughs> that's an entirely different scenario. That might need, you know, a subcommittee to look at. And you know what, Michael? Maybe in the fast-paced world of the pandemic... Having a man unable to make up his mind without a half dozen reports may explain some of what's gone wrong. Because not reacting until, you know, we're two months down the line from whatever happened, is actually kind of Mihal Martin's thing. This is true. So maybe that inability to make a decision in any sort of fast sense, combined with a rampaging pandemic, is, um, is not great. No, I would say that I didn't. There was, I, I, I don't know if there was any great interest or desire on the behalf, the behalf of Fine Gael to engage in uh, sourcing uh, outside of the agreement. Either I mean, let's say they weren't even part of the original group of four. But yeah, I don't. I don't think that Michal's personality type is maybe what you want in a high speed, high stress kind of scenario. Or maybe it's exactly what you want. I don't know. You want, if, you, if you don't care about the outcomes, you just want somebody just to look like they're calm and collected. They're not panicked, maybe. Because remember, Gary, I, I still haven't forgotten where I was told back in March of last year, the single most dangerous thing about this pandemic is panic. And maybe Michal took that to heart. You know, and Michal's carefully not panicking. Fear, Michael. Fear is the mind killer. It is the little death. Although the French might disagree with that, but you know. Le Petit Mort, yes, yeah, a whole a whole other story. And if we before we get into that, I think we should say maybe it's time uh to say uh, good day to the good people. And we'll be back, I suppose, on Sunday. Should God give us strength? Bar another technical glitch. But no, we should be back. <laughs>